Today our reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. for reading uh, the scripture for us uh, this, this morning. And thank you for, again for the team from North Shore Pacific Grace, uh, Mennonite Brethren Church, uh, for coming to uh, lead us in worship again this, this morning. can't believe it's been 10 months uh, since the last time you came. Uh, it's good to see you again. So we're in part two of our, our five of our Advent series that's going to take us uh, today all the way through to Christmas Eve and our candlelight service. Uh, and today is on the uh, Advent theme of, of peace. And as, you, as Anthony has read for us, you, you'll see this theme of wilderness, uh, this theme of God working in dry places, uh, God working in places that you don't expect him uh, to, to be working. And, and this week, as I was preparing for this message, uh, my mind's a bit everywhere. I've still been on jury duty. Uh, I'll explain a little bit of that a little bit later when it's all said and done. Uh, the whole process has really been something. Uh, it's really been something. been learning a lot and uh, just following God and where he's called me to serve him uh, during this, uh, these uh, past few weeks. But I can't share any more uh, than that. Uh, so uh, th- this week, though, like, uh, th- there's a snowfall, as, as we all know. And this week, I, I was shoveling the, uh, the, uh, the, the sidewalk. And I, I, tried, I thought I was going to get ahead of it. I was going to go out there and get, you know, get ahead of the snow. It started coming down. I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of break. I'll you know, shovel and clear it. And then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, well... So much, so much for that. And my neighbor was shoveling, and he was like, every single year, it's around this time, I think I should get a snowblower. And, you know, he lives in a corner street, uh, so he has extra uh, to shovel. But, you know, it's starting getting icy, right, as it does in Vancouver. It's nice for a little bit, and it starts getting slippery uh, all the way through. And I was, as I was thinking about shoveling and breaking through the ice, I was like, huh, I think there are, my mind just jumps around as I'm doing these kind of tasks. And I started thinking about these icebreaker ships. Uh, I'm like, you know, like, my shovel was breaking. I need to buy it, uh, buy a new one. 
Uh, but I was thinking, you, you know, there's ships around the world. Uh, for those of us that have been on um, maybe cruises or other kind of ships uh, that you've worked on before, there's ships that clear the way for other ships to make it through when it gets icy, it gets snowy, and, uh, and, their, their, and the routes uh, gets, gets blocked up. And there's ships like this that called icebreakers where they cleared a path by pushing through uh, frozen over water and this ice. And their hull is uh, strengthened. It's this ice-clearing kind of shape, which is very um, layman's terms <laughs> for, uh, for, for shipbuilding. And they also have an extra like, powerful engine to be able to push through this kind of ice and to break through it and to make a way for either ships that have been stuck in the ice or to clear a way for cargo ships to go through so that they can make it to their destination. And I wanted to get this image in our minds uh, this morning to start off in this passage because God has been breaking through a way for us to see him. That there's been ice maybe all around us, uh, maybe not even all around us, but even within us that we struggle with, uh, that we have, that's iced over our hearts, that we're struggling, struggling to see the purpose of life. We're struggling to have this peace that we're speaking of today, that we're struggling to see a way. But Jesus as we read through the passage uh, and what John the Baptist is pointing to, Jesus, he has made a way uh, to us. And Jesus also uses people uh, to make a way uh, to, to, for us to come to him as well. And my hope this morning is that for us to gain a deeper understanding and, under, uh, and, a, and a, a deeper appreciation and faith in our God, that we will see how even in the wilderness and even in the unlikely that God, he, he can make a way. He can make a way through when, when there seems to be no way, as the song goes. Uh, God can make a way when it seems like there's no ingredients to work with. In very unlikely circumstances, God can still make a way and do what he needs to do, wants to do, knows best to do. The passage starts off this morning as in those days. And that's rather than assuming, and maybe it's one of those three, three words in scripture that you kind of brush over, you know, you kind of, okay, let's get to the meat, uh, maybe, of, uh, of, of the text. But it's important for us to understand that as we go into the word here. As some scholars put it, as we remember the birth of Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph in that time when they had Jesus, they lived in this oppressed society. Things weren't easy for them. We kind of think, you know, Mary and Joseph were going around looking for a hotel. How cute. You know, it was so nice. Uh, it was such a cute story. Let's make nativity scenes and have kids, like, act it out. You know, and, and you know, like, oh, let's take some photos. You know, that's my kid up there. You know, we want to do those kind of things, and that's really great. But it was a hard time for Mary and Joseph. Uh, it was a hard time for the people of Israel to be in. They were heavily taxed, something like 50 to 60% of what they had by both local and faraway, faraway rulers. And when Jesus and John the Baptist, who are cousins, by the way, uh, John the Baptist being born from Elizabeth, who is Mary's sister, John the Baptist is six months older uh, than, than Jesus, but he never pulls rank, uh, even though he's older. Uh, during that time, Herod the Great, he was the ruler, and he was ruthless in his rule. Uh, he was also known as the puppet king because he's really sent by Rome to control and oppress uh, the Israelites uh, and, his, and his own people. And as some scholars, as another scholar puts it, Jesus was born into essentially a third world context under military dictatorship. That was the place that he was born into. That was the time uh, that we're looking and, and reading into. That's the context of the text. And try to imagine that, to put ourselves back into that situation, uh, into a time of oppression. And maybe you, you find it hard to 
uh, see yourself in first century uh, Jerusalem uh, and the Middle East, but many of us, in maybe a similar way, in some similar sort of way, are under oppression or feel like we're, we're oppressed by maybe things that we're struggling with or the society and the culture around us. Today, many, they live in context of war and conflict. As we turn on the TV and scroll through our news and the Twitter feed, we see all the pain and oppression that's happening around the world. We see the areas of violence and the injustices that are done. Jocelyn just shared about it as she was busting through certain places around our city. We see this. We see the pain. We see the suffering. We see what's going on. And many also struggle with anxiety, with depression, with maybe hopelessness and thinking, what's the purpose of my life? Uh, maybe other kinds of disorders. And we struggle with job, in, uh, job security. You're struggling to find work or housing or struggling to go through school and your education. And there's this violence, maybe not outside in the world in our context, but there's this violence that's going on inside of us. And you're trying to pinpoint it. You're wrestling with it. You're like, yeah, maybe I have everything physically, but inside there's this wrestling. There's this pain. There's this yearning for something more. See, the overall message of the Gospel of Matthew is that even with the chaos in the kingdom, kingdoms of the world, ultimately, God is bringing about his kingdom. Even with the chaos that's going on in, in, in the world and maybe even in our hearts, God is still bringing about his kingdom. Even during a time of military occupation, there can be peace. There can be peace, peace that transcends understanding and, a conf, and, and transcends the conflict of that time. And in this text, how, how do we know that? How do we understand this peace? How can we have peace today that God, and knowing that God is ultimately in control? Well, we can look to the example of John the Baptist as an example of what God is doing in the world. And we can also look to the message that John the Baptist has, even though it seems to be, it is convicting and it seems to be, uh, seems to be, uh, puts us into a state of doom, uh, but it is a message of peace and it is a message of hope. We see in later, uh, we see uh, in this uh, first part, in the first section, that God, he can find a way even with unlikely people and situations. Uh, even, uh, even when there's conflict and violence and pain that's going on, God can find, use those situations and unlikely people uh, to make a way uh, for, for himself, for his will, for, uh, for his, his rule. In Matthew 3, 1, later on, in those days, which I set the context a little bit, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Because as you read this, you'll be like, well, okay, how is this going to help? Right? How is this going to help? Like, I'm under oppression. There's, like, there's, there's occupation, militarily speaking, and things aren't good. There's this violence that's going on around us. And then John the Baptist came. He's like, well, whoop-de-doo. Good for you, God. <laughs> how is that going to change anything? You see, 400 years, for 400 years, the people of Israel were without a prophet. They didn't hear from the word, they didn't hear from a prophet or the word of God. And then John the Baptist appeared, and there was the start of this great revival, this great revival in the land. It was also rather unassuming, too, because you would think God would send a prophet not into the wilderness, but maybe into the main city, Right? Raise that prophet up in, 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 I don't know, the most influential position there is possible. Or maybe not even the most influential, but maybe this person will have a main stage, uh, will have a voice, will have a, a place uh, to speak and to change the culture and the context that they're in. But we see John. 
Uh, we, see, we see John, and what does he look like? Well, later on in verse 4, we read that his clothes were made of camel's hair, leather belt was around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey. In a previous sermon, we joked that's the original hipster diet, uh, that he's already started it <laughs> way back in the day. So I don't know if you would want to hang out with someone like this, uh, if you saw him coming out of the wilderness especially. <laughs> but like, wow, he looks like someone I really want to hang out with, uh, someone I really want uh, to get to know. So not only does he dress like this, eating food like this, but what's his platform? It's the wilderness. That's his platform. What's his message? Repentance. That doesn't seem like, uh, there's nothing fancy there. It's, it's, there's, no, uh, there's nothing hip about that. There's nothing cool about that. There's no hip name to the ministry. There's no flashing lights. There's no marketing. He's this wild man coming from the wilderness, eating wild things, uh, saying a message to repent. A very unpopular message, which, are, which I'll get to in a bit. And I don't know about you, but if you are going to start a, a ministry or a church plant or something new for the kingdom of God and to reach the city, this seems to go against everything that we know. It just rubs our culture the, the wrong way. Even, even with all of this, though, even though this is the context of John the Baptist and what he's doing, look at who God uses Look at who God chooses to use to push forward and make a way in the world, to bring about his kingdom. And this repentance, it might sound like an unpopular word, and repentance isn't a word that sounds like it would sell, right? Who wants to come out and be able to have someone shout and be like, repent, you know, like, repent, like, like fire and brimstone kind of messages. That doesn't seem to be, uh, that doesn't seem to be a good selling kind of message. But the church's mission was never to entertain Right? The church's mission was never entertainment, but to be the vessel that brings about the message of salvation, that brings about the gospel. As Charles Spurgeon once said, without, within suitable bounds, recreation is necessary and profitable, but it, was, it, it never was the business of the Christian church to supply the world with amusements. Yet, even with this unlikely person and this unlikely that uh, uh, this not uh, unpopular uh, message of repentance, people still came flocking. People still came flocking to see John. And it's because in their repentance, perhaps, it was in their repentance that they came to experience the presence of God in their life. In that posture of repentance, in that posture of needing God, they were able to experience this peace that they were looking for. As uh, author and writer John Blanchard once wrote, repentance is an inner change of heart and mind and an outward change of life. That as they experience this inner change of repentance, because we think of repentance often as this behavioral change, but that's not. It's about the heart. It's about what's going on inside of us. And as we change and grow, as our hearts change and grow and align with God, there's this outward change in, in our lives as well. And here's the truth here as what we see from John the Baptist in his message and in his ways that the presence of God is so much better than any kind of entertainment. The presence of God is so much better than anything else this world can, ever, can offer. The presence of God is the peace that we've been, the presence of God can bring about the peace of God that we've been yearning for, that we've been searching for, maybe in so many other things in the world right now. So there's a challenge for us as a church this morning, I'm not sure where you're at in terms of your belief and where you're at with your faith, but as a church, 
for Lord's love? Could it be that we would see revival and change in our church the moment we stop chasing after the things of this world, stop chasing after entertainment, but, we're, but, but, but we, when we start calling people into repentance, what if that's the ministries that we're a part of? As we do that in love and in grace and in mercy, as we call people to experience the presence of God, could that be the change that people are looking for? Not the superficial things, as, as beautiful as they could be, as amazing as they could be. Could also be that as a people, we would experience the most peace in our own lives when we let go and we repent of the ways that we turn away from the things that we thought would satisfy us but ultimately do not. Because it seems like God can't do anything out, of, out in the wilderness in times of trouble, in times where it's hard, that we can't see God operating. But maybe that's the point of this passage in the example of John the Baptist for us and how God chooses to use John as he's in the wilderness eating crazy things uh, and, and, and preaching a message that, that, is, that is highly unpopular. How out in the wilderness, far away, even though the city was full of, uh, was controlled and under rule, how even out in the wilderness, far away from this control of the earthly rulers and the empires and where things don't seem, where, where it seems like nothing is happening out in the wilderness, God is actually on the move. That out in the wilderness where it seems the most parched and dry, that God is on the move and that something is stirring as a new era is dawning out in the wilderness. And we can have peace this Christmas knowing that our God, he doesn't operate like the world. And we should be thankful for that. He doesn't operate like the world. We can have peace this Christmas because even if everything seems to be going wrong and going the other way, even uh, out of the wilderness, when everything is out of control, God is on the move and God can do great things away from where we think the main stage is, away where we think life should be happening, out in the wilderness, out in the dryness, out in the chaos, maybe even, God is doing something. And something new is being birthed, that even from the dust of the desert, God can bring upon new life. Just like how he did it back in the garden. I love how we sang the song about how the spirit was moving back in Genesis 1. But back in the garden as well, God was already forming things out of dust doing things out of the dry and nothingness uh, of the world. That, that's where Adam was made out of the dust of the earth, and God, he breathed his life into Adam. So maybe when we feel like John the Baptist, maybe if we feel like we're, we're in the wilderness and we're, not, we're, we're wondering, what are we doing? God, where are you? How is this going to do anything? Maybe you feel like you're living out there in the wilderness where you're unknown and you feel like your, your, your ministry or your work is, is fruitless. We're reminded that God, he, he can use you. He can use us. He can use people that feeling dry and parched and left out on the wayside because that's how he was using John the Baptist out in the wilderness. So we see that God, he makes a way through an unlikely uh, person. But we also see how God, he makes a way with an unlikely and unlikable message, which I've already been alluding to. In verse 2, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this sounds like bad news, right? We read the word repent and maybe you want to turn off right away and be like, it's one of those, <laughs> one of those messages. Uh, no, but this, this, this sounds like bad news, but, and we don't like to hear the word repent, but again, people were flocking to this message and we've got to ask why. Why is that? Because it's really good news. 
It's even good news because read the second part here. Even with everything going on, even in a, a world that is so fallen, so corrupt, so broken, there is this radical invitation. There is this radical invitation, even with the context that they're in. John's like, hey, repent. Why? Why? There's good news. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And like, what? How? What? How do we make sense of that? There's, there's, there's this radical invitation in the desert, in the wilderness, in the dry times for us to experience this peace and this hope, only if we would receive this invitation. And this good news is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not, not, not that we have come near to the kingdom of heaven, but God has initiated, and the kingdom of heaven has come near to us. God is the one who has initiated and has made a way to us. But do we see it? Do we perceive it? As we go back to Isaiah 43, which this text goes really goes back and forth uh, uh, with, uh, Isaiah 43, 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And maybe some of us today, this morning, we're blinded or so distracted by the things of the world. We're so blinded and distracted by the anxieties and the pains and the worries, and they're real. I'm not downgrading your pain or dismissing your pain. They're real, but there's even a greater hope in, in the world. There's even a greater hope, even though there's this anxiety that we have and this worry and this pain. Don't let it distract us. Don't let it don't distract, let it distract us from seeing what God is doing right in front of us. Don't let, him, don't let it distract us. And often we do, I do, I get distracted and ask God, where are you? He's like, I've never left. I've been with you the whole time. Don't get distracted. Stay on the path that I've made. Don't go off on the wayside. And in Matthew 3, uh, 3 quotes from Isaiah as well. This is he who, has, uh, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And this is a prophetic significance, not only because John the Baptist is uh, representing the new Eli Elijah that's come uh, into the world, bringing about God's kingdom again and calling his people into repentance and, and to experience him. But notice where this text is from, which is from Isaiah 40, 40 verse 3, if you have your Bibles and you see the footnotes, you see that, that reference. And that passage in Isaiah 40 is beautiful because it's titled Comfort for My People, that they were in a time of exile and pain, and they're not sure where they're going to be. But God has this message, it's filled with uh, beautiful uh, reminders that the Messiah is coming, even though it's dryness around you, even though there does not seem to be a way, God can make a way through the wilderness. The Messiah is coming. And we read verses, like beautiful verses like this in Isaiah 47 to 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them and surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Or Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, later on, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That it is, it is possible in our wandering, in our wilderness moments, in our dryness to experience peace and to know that everything is going to be okay. Because when 
the people of Israel heard this message from John, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. They're like, wait a minute, repeat that again? We haven't heard that in 400 years. Repeat that again? Is that, are you telling me the Messiah is coming? Are you telling me that my pain and my waiting and my, is, is coming to an end and that my, I can have this hope again, that the hope and promises of God are coming into fruition? No way, is it time? Is it right now? Is the Messiah coming? See, though John was ministering in the wilderness, and he was ministering in a place that was empty, he wasn't doing nothing. As he was repenting of his own sins, as he was walking with God, there was this fruit that kept in with his repentance. That was, that was, that was making a way. That was, that was doing something effective for the kingdom of God. And often we look around and we're like, we use our human eyes. And we're like, God, it seems like you're not doing anything. But we turn on the spiritual eyes and see from God's eyes and with his lens on, we'll see that he is doing something. The roots are taking place all over, that his kingdom is already coming about, that a new era is dawning, even in the pain, even in the darkness, even in the wilderness. What does it mean to prepare the way for the Lord and to make straight paths for him? I find Eugene Peterson's translation and the message maybe a little bit more helpful, understand, it makes it a little more understandable. John and his message were authorized by Isaiah's prophecy. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. When you prepare the way for the Lord, it's like you're paving a highway. You're making a way through the desert, even though this dry ground, even though it's bumpy, through this desert and dry ground and wilderness, there's a smooth road. Not to, create, uh, not to create obstacles for people to get to God, but to make a smooth road. A smooth road. There's nothing like a really nice, smooth, paved road. For those of you that like driving, you notice it, right? Like you're driving through Highway 1, and you're like, oh, man, it's like this road hasn't been picked, fixed in 50 years. And then you drive, all of a sudden, there's a patch. It's like quiet. It's like, wow, new tires or something. Like, you know, I'm in a new world. In a way, for us, our, our work as the people of God is, is to pave the smooth road, to make a way for, for people to see and to experience God. And all of it really starts, not, not to make it confusing or to create these crooked roads and make it really confusing and hard for people to understand Jesus. No, to, to make a way for people to see God and to experience God. Could it be that we could be part of the work as what Jesus later says in Matthew seven thirteen to 44? It says here, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Could it be that God uses his people to help pave the road to the narrow road? To find Jesus, to see Jesus and to experience Jesus. Because that's ultimately what John was doing. He wasn't calling people to himself. He was calling and pointing. That's what I love about John the Baptist. All he does is point people to Jesus. Don't look at me, guys. Look at Jesus, because he's the one that's bringing about this change. You're looking for love? Look to Jesus, not to me. Looking for hope? Look to Jesus, not to me. Looking for peace? Don't look at me. Look at Jesus, because he's the one that we're looking for and looking to. Because John, he ultimately just called people to confess and to repent and also to be baptized. And John, he actually shows us what it looks like to ultimately need God through this pathway of of, of repentance, of confession, of baptism. 
that that is the state that we ought to be in in our whole lives. That's the state of what it looks like to desire God through repentance, through confession, and through, through baptism. Because what does this baptism ultimately represent? Yes, we're going to have a baptism on Christmas Day, and we're, gonna, we're looking forward uh, to celebrating uh, as a church family. But baptism ultimately represents being fully immersed, like die, your old life dying and rising with Christ, but also, in a sense, that you're fully immersed with God too. That John the Baptist was saying, hey, be fully immersed. Repent, confess, and be baptized. Be fully immersed with God. And that was his way of clearing the path for people. That was his way of calling people, making the way for people to experience Jesus and to experience his kingdom. I want to end this morning, and there's a lot more. You notice I didn't really preach through the entire text because there's way too much in it. But you'll notice I've used the word wilderness many times, dryness many times, and how God can do amazing things through it, even though we cannot see it. We see in verse 9 later on that do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I tell you that out of these stones... In other words, out of these inanimate objects, these nothingness, God can still raise up children for Abraham. That God can do great things. But he also calls them to repent. He calls them actually a brood of vipers, which is uh, pretty serious. He's another, uh, another commentator says he's calling them children of the serpent, referring back to Genesis. Uh, that you're not following God, the Father. You're actually following uh, Satan. Uh, you're following the serpent. But... Uh, it's easy for us to judge people like the Pharisees and like the Sadducees. But I think the message for us this morning, and the second advent of, of Christmas on the topic of peace is, if you're not experiencing peace this morning, we need to ask yourself the question of why. We need to do some reflection, like what is it that we've been seeking? I mean, we had our community learning class just before this, and we're talking about this a little bit. What is it that ultimately we're seeking? What is the desire under the desire? Like, what is really going on? Well, where are we looking for our hope and, our, and our, our needs to be met? Is it in Christ? Is it in God who ultimately fulfills and can satisfy? Or is it in other things? And we just spend our time chasing after other things. And maybe we're tempted to judge religious leaders like the Pharisees and Sadducees and be like, look at them, they're so legalistic and they're so hypocritical. But the reflection point for us this morning as we prepare for Advent, for the arrival of Jesus, as we continue to be in waiting, is that we need to be a people of repentance. And perhaps in that repentance, we can experience this peace. That for me, I have often found myself, when I find myself in wilderness moments, I say, God, you're not doing anything here. I can't see what you're doing. Therefore, I connect with you're not doing anything. And I need to repent of that. That I need to put on a spiritual lens of God's lens. And I need to repent from that and to seek him. And if all the, with all, everything happening in life right now, I've had moments where I've reminded of this passage, exactly what I'm preaching from today, that everything is going to be okay. Because ultimately, God is the one that holds all things in his hands. And that's not wishful thinking. That's reality because of what Jesus has done. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He has proven that he has power to do everything that he, could, that he says he could do. So I'm praying for us this morning that you would have this peace, but maybe there's something that we need to let go of. We need to let go of maybe it's our own control, maybe it's our own hopes, maybe it's our own dreams, 
and follow the way that God has for us because his way is better. He's made a way. He's, he's, he's made a way. And even today, if you're thinking, Doug, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm wrestling with. I am the last person here to ever maybe receive Jesus. Well, he's already sent that icebreaker. <laughs> he's already broken away and made a way. But do we desire him and do we want him? And it's with that attitude this morning and that heart that we come to the Lord's table.